Welcome to the Frontline Industry Podcast. Every week, we talk with top senior executives to get their advice on positively impacting frontline employees, companies, and customers. On today's episode, The Cutting Edge of Leadership, I talked to Jennifer Lemke, CEO of Weedman, an international network of locally owned and operated lawn care businesses across Canada, the United States, and the United Kingdom. Jennifer talks about the family story of Weedman, her powerful life purpose, the importance of active listening as a leader, how to build a great brand, the value of being owner-operated, the future of robotics and landscaping, and so much more. Don't go anywhere. The Frontline Industry Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Frontline Industry Podcast. My name is Joel, and joining me today is Jennifer Lemke. She's the CEO of Weedman, which is currently the number one lawn care franchise across North America, one of the best franchises to buy into in America, according to Forbes magazine. And she is passionate about growing people, creating opportunities for franchisees and their employees, and really at the core of her, absolutely loves people. She thinks people are everything, and I do too, and I can't wait to talk all about that. Jennifer, welcome to the Frontline Industry Podcast. Thank you for having me, Joel. I'm really excited to share this time with you. I, I am too, and uh, just to start us off, Weed Man, in the world we live in today, let's clarify what that means. Are you into the industry, or what, what, what do you do? <laughs> So uh, Weedman is lawn care. We do fertilizer, weed control, insect control. So really maintain the health of the, the lawn. Um, we also have a sub-brand called Mosquito Hero that is kind of like its name. Um, we take care and we eliminate mosquitoes uh, on properties. So it's just very synergistic, the, the two brands together. And uh, yeah, so we service about, I would say about 650,000 residential customers across North America for their lawn care needs and now their mosquito needs. And I, for those who are listening carefully, there's a little bit of a, a, a boot there in your answer. Um, you're not in uh, the U.S., correct? No, I'm not. Although currently I am. I'm actually traveling right now in the U.S. I'm in Houston, Texas, awesome. uh, visiting franchises. But we uh, I'm primarily out of the Toronto, uh, Ontario, which is Canada, mm-hmm. and just on the outskirts of uh, of Toronto. And um, you know, been my family. We're all Canadian and and have grown up in Canada. But uh, I feel like I'm more American these days because I do spend a lot of time here. I imagine I have about 80 cousins in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, oh. My dad has dual citizenship, uh, spent some time up there as a young kid, haven't been back since for a visiting family, but love Canada. Uh, always enjoyed my visits to Toronto. Um, so very, very cool. I, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, you, you have had a remarkable journey from very the very beginning of your career and really have stuck it out with Weedman basically the whole time. Um, which is a neat story. And just from a high level, can you give us that story in a summary form and, and just kind of pave the path that you took? Yeah, no, I do. I do have an elevator speech on this one. So I'll try to be quick for you. Um, Yeah, I started my dad actually bought his first weed man franchise when I was 16 years old. So our neighbor owned a weed man franchise in the Toronto area. And my dad was really looking at getting out of corporate America and, and decided to look at all kinds of different opportunity. And we were invited over for a barbecue over at our neighbors. And he went down in the basement and thought, 
thought, hmm, if uh, he can do this kind of profit margins with two trucks, uh, imagine what we could do if if I really uh, went after this. So we were actually the, I say we, because he said he had a family meeting and we were all in on the family meeting, but I don't remember getting an invite to it. So he uh, he ended up opening his first franchise in uh, Hall, Quebec, which if you're familiar with the Canadian geography is um, just on the other side of our nation's capital. There's a river that separates them in, in Ottawa. So he bought his first franchise, really no aspirations of just being a franchise and the founders at that time had, um, uh, you know, were looking to get into Quebec and had partnered with somebody there, Pierre Garant in Quebec, and he became uh, his first franchise uh, in Hull. So that was, it was good. And, you know, again, was in high school and didn't really have aspirations of joining the, the weed man organization. Um, went to university. He, he then did very well in his first, uh, operation and then moved to Montreal, bought seven more territories in Montreal. But again, he was a franchisee, not the franchisor, Mm -hmm. and did very well again in that market and approached my um, then boyfriend at the time, well, fiance, and my now husband. He uh, approached us and said, is this something that you'd be interested in getting involved in? And we said, yeah, actually, it would be something that we'd like to. You know, you start to see him get newer cars and nicer houses, and things (laughs) are kind of going well. So we got involved, and we purchased the Ottawa franchise, um, which is our nation's capital. And then we've done about 45 acquisitions across Canada and did very, very well. So in Canada, we were a franchisee. And then um, we approached the founder, Des and Brenda Rice, and said, you know, we'd really like to franchise into the United States. So we bought the master rights for the U.S. to be the franchisor in the U.S., And that's where I got involved. So I really grew up kind of in operations, understanding what it's like to gain a customer, lose a customer, and kind of everything in between. So when I went uh, to run the U.S. uh, side of things, you know, that experience that I had really helped me um, support the franchisees because, you know, what better way than having live, real life experience in, inside the brand? So that went very, very well. Uh, that was in 2000 that we uh, that I joined the turf holding side, and then, you know, fast forward to 2018. Des had passed away quite a few years ago, about 13 years ago, but Brenda was very much still involved in the business, and she approached my dad and said, "Would you consider?" buying me out completely. I'm ready to retire. And we Mm. said, yeah. So we bought the worldwide rights. So it was just kind of a natural transition for me to oversee the entire franchise. My dad retired, uh, get this March 1st of 2020, which was a little bit of a rough go with COVID. Maybe he knew something that we didn't know. I mean, that's yeah, a perfect maybe, <laughs> maybe. So we pulled him back in and we said, no, you can't retire right now. We need you. I need you. Uh, yeah. So that was, it's kind of our family story. I, I would be remiss. I can't really tell my story without really telling yeah. our family story. So that's, I've grown up in the business and um, it's it's done very, very well for our family. And now my daughter's involved. She actually runs the Houston franchise with her husband, mm. uh, Andrew. And, um, you know, my two sons have worked during the summer times 
One is a hockey player in the Czech Republic, and the other one now is going through to be uh, an electrician. So we've got one in the business. So you can see a legacy starting to happen here. So. Well, you have to have a hockey player in your family if you live in Canada. So right. I mean, you, you, yeah. you got one out of three. So that's a good spot <laughs> right. to be in. Um, so you, I, I want to get to this because, you know, I, I could talk to you, I'm sure, about businessy stuff for quite a while. And that's always interesting. But I always feel that what's more interesting is kind of hearing who Jennifer is below the surface of the, the business persona. And, and you already don't really have the, the faux persona of, of, of someone that, um, you know, may be traditionally associated with a business position. But yeah. um, you said your life's purpose uh, is to commit yourself to others. Is that, you know, you said that a few years ago in an article I found online, but is that kind of still how you feel? Is it, has it manifested differently? Do you, do you call it or think about it differently now? And, and what does it really mean when it comes to living out your purpose practically as an executive, as a leader, as, you know, an entrepreneur, um, as a, a family member in a business? Walk me through how you kind of live that out. Yeah, that's a really big question. It's, um, you know, I've always, one of the things that I feel that I can do very well is I, I listen very, very intently to people. And, um, you know, by listening, that's kind of how you learn and you learn what they need, what they want, how they can grow inside of, um, you know, not just inside of the business, but grow as, as, as people. And through my years, I found that, you know, a lot of times people are, are talking and, and they're kind of not saying really what they want to, or what they want to aspire to. And for me, I feel like a lot of leaders will look, okay, let's grow the top line or grow the bottom line. And, um, and which is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I, I'm very, very in tune with profits, but it's understanding and showing people and listening to people and show them how they fit into that growth. And, and what does it mean to them personally? Um, and that's something that if you don't listen to people, you don't understand what their hot buttons are and, and where they're going is, is to align what companies want to do with people's growth aspirations, what they want out of life. Um, you know, I, I can go back and look at many, many stories through my career, but if a company stops growing, um, or stops being profitable, they stop creating opportunities for people. If you're not growing, you're going backwards is essentially my, my motto is you really can't. So what drives me to get out of bed every morning is creating these opportunities for people. So growing, 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 and, and allowing them. So whether it be my team at Turf Holdings, which is the master franchisor for the U.S. and TH Canada in Canada, if I stop looking at different opportunities, it may be adding new brands, it might be looking at new revenue streams and challenging them to be better and to grow within themselves. And then also to look and have org charts where they can see themselves and as part of some of these other opportunities that we're presenting. And then on the flip side, uh, our franchisees, you know, if they're like my dad started with one territory in a small little town of Hall, Quebec, and then he moved to the Montreal and added seven territories. And then he, you know, across Canada, 40 territories. Well, what did that do? It just created a ton of opportunities for all of our employees 
And, you know, we're very, very uh, much a brand that likes to be owner operated. So even our managers in our different branches are owners as part of that branch. So, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do that if we were just back in that one territory. So I guess I learned from my dad a lot in life. Um, and for me, it was just very important to continue that legacy. You know, I don't need to work any harder, um, but that's what drives me. And um, I think the premise of everything is listening to people and figuring out what you, uh, aligning them with what your purposes are, are so, so important. That's a great answer. And I, I'd like to go back to the very first sentence you said is, you listen intently, very intently um, to others. You know, I think active listening is something that very few people have figured out how to do. And I, I don't even know if I could make a really good explanation of, of how that looks or what is happening inside someone's mind. You, you either are doing it or you're not. Like, how would you describe active listening when you do it? Because that's such a leadership skill and I'm, I'm assuming it's something that you want to promote in, within your organization with the leaders below you as well. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's it's not just um, listening. It's like looking at body language, looking at, you know, how people are reacting to different things and just understanding sometimes people have a reaction to something and and it could be really a hot reaction (laughs) to something and you just kind of go okay whoa they're they're not mad at me they're mad at potentially the situation and let's figure this out together Mm. um where other people will listen or maybe they hear something and they react without really digging in a little bit deeper and understanding why that was said or why that reaction happened. And I mean, there's not a solution to every problem, but I would say 99% of the issues that are out there, there are solutions. Just if everybody comes to the table and listens to each other, and I mean, really listen to each Mm. other. No, I, I agree. And it's, you know, alongside empathy, it, it might be some of the more important things to get right, uh, especially as you grow as a leader, having that ability to go, I hear what you're saying, but there's more that you're saying that you're not saying. Right. Uh, and and that, that courage to even bring it up. Like, that's the hardest part from my experience is like, I could maybe see that someone's trying to say something or, or even not saying something that they want to say, but having the courage to go, uh, are we okay? Like, you're not actually telling me how you actually feel. It's kind of a a difficult place to to be in and and have the courage to actually bring it up sometimes too. Yeah, and and sometimes it's like I'm really sorry, I'm just not understanding what you're saying to mm-hmm. me right now. Let me try and understand and let's, you know, be on both sides of the issue together so I can really understand what you're dealing with. And and I feel like with franchisees there's so much going at them like they're business owners, right? And there's so much going at them and sometimes they'll react to one particular situation, it's like, okay, let's remember we're on the same team and we're going to get through this together and um, just creating that trust with people. And, you know, I don't get it right all of the time, but building trust uh, with people through listening and and being aligned with them and their growth and where they want to go and what they want to do in life. It just kind of just seems like the right thing to do, Um, especially in my role. It's different. You know, when you're running a company and you're making all of the decisions, 
you're able to kind of make things happen. And certainly I influence a lot, but a lot of times a franchisee, it's their own business, their brand standards and things that they have to follow. But in the end, it is their own business. And for us, um, and it's a partnership. So you have to earn that trust with those franchisees. And in my opinion, the only way to do that is align yourself with their success and really listen to what they're saying to you. So I'm curious, taking that nugget of wisdom, which I think is 100% right, is that, to what level or to what, to, to what degree has that been a central theme that has caused your success? I mean, number one ranked uh, franchise in lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine over and over again. Number one ranked in franchise business reviews, top service franchises. Number two ranked as the best franchise to buy as, based on the lowest level investment um, by Forbes. I mean, these are like some accolades that are really, really impressive. And there are companies out there that, whether in your industry or not, aren't reaching that, right? And 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 why have you been able to be so successful? I mean, is it just making the right decision at the right time? Or is there a level of the, the carryover of these conversations around empathy and trust and asking the right questions and active listening and stuff? Yeah. Um, well, I've, I count myself lucky, but a lot of times you bring your own luck. Um, you know, for me, I don't, I don't want to be somebody that just talks the talk. I want to walk the walk and my employees and my, the team members and what we do is, you know, we want to build a respectable, uh, sustainable brand. That's what you want to do. And the only way to do that is to be honest and true to yourself in what you do and, and build your culture around that and create a culture with your franchisees of, of winning. And I don't think there's one franchisee that you would call right now, uh, both in Canada and the U.S., if you picked up the phone and called them and said, you know, what do you think? Is is she the real deal? I, I'm not sure if I'm the real deal, but they know that I care mm-hmm. and that I will do absolutely everything in my power to help them succeed. And all of my team members are that way as well, you know, right from the top all the way down, even our newest uh, team members that come on, it's important for me to be a part of that first day of orientation. I want to be with any new employee that joins our company. I want to spend the first day in the company with them because they're our future. And, um, so, and I want them to understand, like, we're not just here. These are our customers. Our franchisees are our customers. And if they're successful, we're going to be successful. So don't worry about some of the stuff. There's going to be times where if a franchisee asks you a question, I want you to divert everything to answer them first, because they're the most important thing for us. And I think really feel that franchisees believe that. And I think that's why we're ranking so well and, and that we're performing and you know and all of that it's not all fluffy stuff i mean there is a lot of meat in there we have a lot of systems and processes in play and that's why you know if something's going wrong i have a lot of ability to pick up the phone and say hey there's something wrong. We got to figure this out and we're going to figure it out together. Um, Whether it be retention rate, whether it be cancellation rates in the service industry, you know, Mm -hmm. these are very important metrics. If we're not retaining our customers, then there's an issue. There's something we're doing wrong in that marketplace that we need to adjust and fix. Um, But I'm able to pick that phone up and say, and have truthful conversations, not only with the owners, but some of the top managers in their organization, because that's just the culture that we've built. Sounds like a healthy one. And I'm curious for, you know, I I saw a very high retention rate in your website and you talk about retention rate and 
and how important it is to have these conversations at every level. I mean, wh- what tends to be the greatest cause of retention in your industry? Maybe, no, let's take that back. How about your organization? Because when you have a very intentional organization like yours, is it different than other organizations? Why people leave? Or is it basically still the same stuff? Yeah, I. you know what? I, I'm not sure because I don't really focus on what other organizations are doing, to be honest with you. I, um, I mean, I understand lawn care because I grew up in it. We have really strong metrics. We measure exactly the same across our entire brand. So when I'm talking about retention rates, we're all measuring it the same. So I think... Industry-wide, you hear numbers saying, and and that might be true in their organization. It's just different than how we measure it. So for us, consistency is 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 a key component to this to make sure we're measuring it right. And secondly, you know, we we feel like some of our products that we use we use a very high granular. So our products are very very high end products, um, and you know, I would say our fertilizer is different than some of our competitors in the space. I, mm. I can't say it's better, but I definitely know it's it's different. Um, all of the other types of products, we're using the exact same product. So I would say our, our products needs to work and we need to make sure that we're putting the right product at the right time uh, on the line. But that that's a basic, you know, I'm assuming all the other franchises or organizations in our industry are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think where we try and differentiate differentiate ourselves is, um, and we're definitely not the lowest cost uh, out there, is the quality of work. And we understand that the homeowner really identifies with the technician. You know, they don't really know the owner of Weedman or they have no clue who I am. Um, really, Weedman is their technician. It's either, you know, yeah. the the men and women that are going out to service the lawn. So it's important that they're trained properly, um, that we create an atmosphere that they're coached throughout it. So we're always helping, uh, not that we're involved in, in it, but we're helping our owners realize that, that the employee is the most important thing as part of the retention rate. You know, they're servicing the customers, but if your employees aren't happy, you need to make sure that they're happy and mm-hmm. and you're creating, like I said at the beginning, growth in your organization that they want to stay and you can keep your A players going. So you always, as an owner, I think, need to be selling your vision to your employees and reminding them why they're here and what they're doing. Because, you know, spring and lawn care is not a fun time. Everybody wants you there yesterday. So keeping that in front of your employees and, you know, getting them involved in your culture. And I think that's when some of the most successful ones of our franchisee have done really, really well, very well. So there's a a very large lawn care company. I won't name names. Everyone will know who they are. Um, that I had a great experience when I lived in Minnesota, but I, I, I moved to Florida in 2020, um, just before you started your your role as CEO. Um, and it was it was a rough transition. I mean, the, the service was totally different. The outcomes were totally different. It was terrible in Florida. It was amazing in Minnesota. The, the criticality of having that consistency that you bring up mm-hmm. couldn't be more significant when it comes to the service industry. If you, know, you walk into a Marriott hotel, you better get the same experience as the last Marriott hotel you stayed in. Right. And how do you do that when you have so many franchisees, you have so many different leaders and management styles and distributed teams across the country that, yeah, they're still weed men, but you can't touch the lives of every frontline employee. You're too removed from their lives. How do you create that? 
So you're, you know, and that's something we struggle with. It's not all the consistency is definitely from franchise to franchise because they're different owners, right? And they're locally. The difference between, let's say, a McDonald's and, and us is that McDonald's, if you make a Big Mac in Florida, uh, or if you make a Big Mac in Minnesota, it looks like the same Big Mac. Mm-hmm. Whereas the grass is a living organism and it's very different grasses. I'm sure you have seen the difference in, in grasses and they need different things. So consistency of when applications are done or how they're done are a little different. And even they, so it's not, it's not a science. It's more of an art right. and having people deliver the, the service because they are absolutely two franchises that would be using different products. And it, and I think I know who you're talking about, which I have the utmost respect for them because I work very closely with industry leaders, but I get it. It is different. And for them, the difference may lie as well as, um, and and I'm, I don't want to knock anybody or any editor, but we're owner operated. So, you know, when you lose a customer, you feel it when you're owner operated. Um, Sometimes maybe management, if it's a manager that's there, maybe not as in tune with, you know, the cancellation rates and the retention rates. I'm sure they have lots of meetings about it, but it doesn't it's not painful when you lose a customer or somebody writes a bad review for you online. It It is painful. People don't understand, even myself, and I'm not even the one out. Sometimes I'll see a bad review online and it's like, oh, like just a stab in the heart. It's, it's unbelievable what people's words on the internet, how impactful they mm-hmm. are uh, when you see it. So um, maybe that might be, uh, I think that is probably the differentiator between a franchise and maybe um, someone that's just a, a manager in a location. Um, so uh, what you're describing really is an ownership mentality, right? I mean, these owner operated places have an ownership mentality, no surprise. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, the more we can push that ownership mentality to the front lines, yeah. the person actually servicing your lawn, and they have pride because it's just their lawn, I'm responsible for this, and I feel that weight, the more the customer feels that. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the hardest things to do in the service industry, especially. It is. Um, it when, is. Especially when you have turnover challenges and you know disengaged employees who are there just to make a paycheck, which is fine because, honestly – a lot of companies are really, really bad at creating any more than that for them. And so they don't go necessarily into a business looking for more than that. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I couldn't agree more. I recognize we don't have a, a whole lot of time together. And I told you I'd give some of your day back to you. So I, I want to get to two more questions. And this one's, um, I think, a really forward thinking one um, as far as, you know, your world that you're living in and you're forecasting down the, lo- down the road. You know, I, I watched Elon Musk unveil his new robot uh, in the last few weeks. Okay. Yeah. Pretty sweet, right? Yeah. Um, for less than twenty grand, he's hoping you can buy this robot. Now, with you know the cost of Teslas and stuff, you know it's probably going to be closer to thirty at the end of the day. Who knows? Yeah, but thirty grand. That's <laughs> easily paying for itself in, a, yeah. in within one year for a lot of service related jobs. Now, of course, we're years away from hiring an army of robots to go service your lawn. Yeah, but, you know you are experimenting with some robotic mowing. You yeah. are aware and on the front leading edge of some of that technology. Talk to me as a frontline associate who's working for Weedman. Talk to me as someone who's listening and going like, what's the future of lawn care? And are we really automating everybody out or is it just looking to look different in 10 years? 
I think I think it's going to look different. Um, so just to be clear, right now, Weedman is a separate brand. We've started a new brand called Turfbot. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now we're exclusively selling the brand to Weedman franchisees. Um, and the... The so the turf bot it does the cutting so we haven't been in mowing at all and now this is kind of our entree into the landscape landscape maintenance world. So the reason why we looked at it and I've mentioned it before is we've we wanted um, to go into different brands and capitalize on the amount of homeowners that we have as a database, people that we service their lawn for. We understand how to market to a to residential homeowners. So taking that and replicating it to other brands just kind of makes sense. And it's it's a it's a way of the franchising world is to multi-brand. You can look at quite a sure. few that have multiple yeah. brands. So for us, the robotics, um, you know, to look at something that is, you're getting into a, a very cool marketplace. I mean, it's pretty cool to see robots, just like the Roomba with the vacuuming. Oh, yeah. Yep. And it's, um, but it's still in its infancy. So there's, and we've been able to sell it. I think we have about uh, just over 700 robots deployed. Wow. So for us right now, we're in the testing mode. We we tapped a few uh, franchisees on the shoulder and, and for various different reasons, different markets, different people that were had experience in the landscape and said, would you be interested in adding this concept to see how it how it fares? So we currently are the largest um, uh, franchise, I would say. Well, for sure, we're the only franchise in the space. <laughs> Uh, the largest franchise with the most amount of robots. I just came back from a, a conference and they were, it's really cool that uh, a lot of commercial properties are really looking at that, but they're looking at it to really reduce labor, which it does. It really, the robots do reduce labor. We're looking at it, not just to reduce labor, but really create a recurring revenue model with it, as well as have our franchisees make money doing it. So, Currently, the way the robots work is you have to wire the perimeter of uh, the property to essentially say, okay, robot, you need to stay inside of this wire, kind of like a dog, doggy sure. fence. Mm-hmm. So we keep them in. Well, the way technology is evolving is this will all be GPS run eventually, and there will be no wires, which we're really looking forward to that day um, because the wiring adds a, a complexity for sure to it those darn wires get broken mm-hmm. when people dig and stuff. So you're, you're fixing that. So, the, but that's more the technical side of the business. We feel that, you know, it's good for the environment. It's low noise. Uh, meaning when I say good for the environment, there's no emissions. It's very low noise, low labor costs. So it just kind of fits inside of our model and what we want to be, uh, you know, and, and our tagline is the cutting edge. And that's, um, something we want to be in the space. We definitely want to be a multi-brand type company. Um, again, back to my original statement by creating opportunities for people, this is a way to, to do that. So very excited about the new brand, although it does have its challenges. Um, the one thing we were, were unsure of, could we sell this 
to the general population? And the answer is yes. So we figured out that piece. We're able to sell it to residential homeowners. Mm. Um, now it's just some of the technical things that we're trying to iron out. And our manufacturers in the space um, are getting, there's more and more of them. So there's a lot of R&D happening in this space. So we're pretty excited what the industry is going to do. I think we're on the cusp, maybe two, three years, and you're going to see a lot more of these robots out and about in your neighborhoods. Um, remember, in uh, in Europe, there are millions of robots sold. Millions. So this is not a new concept to the world. It's a new concept to North America. Is this like a, a lime scooter, bird scooter thing where you, you take them, you, you just drop them off people's yards and they do their thing, or they just stay there? on site and recharge like a Roomba and then go do their thing at different intervals. That's right. And then we, we, if there's an error, we get alerted at the office or homeowner will let us know. Sometimes it's a quick reset. Uh, other times we have to go and see what's happening, uh, why the robots got an error. And yeah, so to answer your question, the, the lawnmower lives there. It's like they're, it's like they're, pet <laughs> yeah it goes to its own little yeah. kennel and recharges <laughs> right yeah. yeah and then goes out and works and and then comes back in and, and recharges again so yeah that's 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 the concept well i think that the title of this podcast will probably be uh, something along the lines of the cutting edge because that's it's a pretty neat uh it's a good tagline for you guys especially but it is cool to see that you know i the 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 reality is is that a lot of lawn care or or uh, landscaping or services like that hasn't changed that much um, in a long time, right? We're still people tending after um, other people's things and making it look good. Right. Um, and yet, uh, you know, when these kind of innovations come up, it, it's pretty cool to see how they evolve. And like you said, evolve very, very quickly. So certainly we'll be watching that. My last question for you, and I'll let you go. And I'm really excited about this one because I know you're someone who, who d- deeply thinks and cares a lot about this sort of thing. What's something that you believe, Jennifer, that everyone else believed to would make this world a better place? That is a really great question. I, well, at this time, I, I'm going to go back to where I started is people need to actively listen to each other and respect each other's views. Um, If you actively listen, there's always common ground. You may not agree with what they say, but there's Mm -hmm. something in there that common ground. And a lot of it is we're all good people and we all believe, you know, we want to make a difference in the world. So our thoughts or our views are from a certain lens. And I feel that people have lost sight of that, that it's okay for people to have different opinions Mm -hmm. and it's okay not to always agree, but it's not okay to not respect each other. And if I were to say to the world or the most thing is, is learn how we can get back to respecting each other and listening to other people's point of view. Mm. Yeah. The, the demonization of others for having an opinion different than our own um, is so destructive and, and and it it certainly can tear apart a business. It can tear apart a family. It can tear apart, tear apart a society. And and we see that um, with a lot of things that are happening around us. I think it's a great word uh, and a great way to end today, if we could all just listen actively to others and find common ground and and focus on our similarities, uh, it would be a wonderful, wonderful world, world indeed. I'm grateful for the time 
that we've had together. Thank you for spending some time with me today, Jennifer. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking me. Uh, This has been awesome. And it's always nice to reflect on life and where you've come from and where you're going. So thank you so much for that. Oh, absolutely. And and you're more than welcome. And uh, I I hope that we can stay in contact. I am very, very uh, happy to have had you on. I I leave feeling inspired and uh, motivated to to change the world around me. And I hope everyone listening does too. Thank you for those listening. Uh, This has been another episode of the Frontline Industry Podcast, and we will see you next time. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Unison. Put your best team everywhere and operationalize active listening for your frontline leaders. You know, Jennifer's advice on listening to one another and respecting each other's point of view couldn't be more important in the divisive world we live in today. That's a huge goal of this podcast, providing you the perspective and opinion of noteworthy leaders like Jennifer. And if you loved hearing her today, please subscribe and follow this podcast. Join us each week as we highlight incredible leaders like her. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.